There are real problems in the world, right? If you turn on the news or you just kind of check your feed or whatever, you see real problems that people are dealing with. There's war, there's famine, there's persecution, there's uh, poverty, there's just pain in, in globally, in countries, even in your own world, right, that you see some real problems. And then there is such a thing as like uh, fake problems or maybe like good problems to have, you know. I, I saw this list the other day and it was a BuzzFeed list and it was... 28 problems that only ridiculously good-looking people have. Um, and I just thought, okay, this is so weird, and, and I just can't believe someone gets paid to write things like that for BuzzFeed. I also couldn't believe I was actually looking at it, like, what, this is, this is a waste of my life or whatever, but 28 problems only ridiculously good-looking people have. And this is like an example of like the good kind of problems, right, or like fake problems. For example, here were some of them that were on the list. You don't know what to wear because everything looks good on you. Yeah, that's hard, right? Similarly, you don't know what Instagram filter to use because they all look good on you, you know? You don't need to just go black and white. You can do whatever. Uh, number three, posing for pictures is tricky because you don't have a bad angle. Um, that's hard, you know, and you don't have a good side or a bad side. Uh, number four, you have a million notifications on social media because everyone's liking your pictures. That's annoying, apparently, apparently, uh, for people. And that, so... Those are like fake problems, right? There's, there's plenty of other ones that come up in society. When things are going well, you get a whole new set of problems. So like number one, you can afford to buy a bigger house, but now you have to work harder to keep it clean. Mo money, mo problems, right? Your investments grow, but now you got to pay more attention to it. Uh, you get into a good school, but now you have to do a lot of work. Like these are... Uh, areas where we're sort of victims of our own success, where things go well, and then it opens up a whole other set of problems. And I see these lists, and I see these, I, what people call problems, and I, and I just sort of wonder to myself, like, how far up Maslow's hierarchy of needs are we? Like, we are way up the pyramid here if we're worried about these kind of things when there are actual real problems in the world that we probably could, could worry about or, or deal with. And so today... And I don't do this very often, but today I think I'm, I, w- I want to talk about a good kind of problem to have. So we've been in this series called Movers and Shakers, and what we've been talking about for the last four weeks is influence, that God calls us to be people of influence in the world, and so we need to leverage our influence that God has given us with others. We need to leverage that influence to expand God's kingdom and work for the good of others. And so we've been talking about that in different ways we go about that and, and, and sort of looking at that. Um, and, we've, and we talked about what makes you angry and how we handle anger and how that drives us into a place of influence. We've talked about calling, how God calls us, and, and how do we know if he's calling us and what is he calling us to. We've talked about uh, equipping. We've talked about what did God put in your hands? What has he given you to fulfill the calling he has put on your life? And, and we even talked the, the first week, Tommy talked about the idea that God was at, was at work um, before, even before now, like God has been at work in the background to get you ready for the situation that you're in. Um, and so we've been looking at all these different, different aspects really of Moses's life. We've been studying through Moses, uh, the early section of Exodus. And today I want to talk about, uh, I, w- I want us to get a look at where Moses actually has a lot of success and it creates for him some problems. And they're the good kind of problems, but they're problems nonetheless. And, and, and I'm really aiming this at anyone who's achieved a level of success. So you, you, you're doing what God's called you to do, and it's growing. The business, the work, school, uh, relationships, things are going well. You've achieved a level of success, and now you have some new problems that come along with it. And what do you, what do, you do with that? Well, to get you up to speed of where I want to take you in the Exodus story today, Moses 
Uh, we, we looked at the burning bush that God called him from that. We looked at the argument that he had with God last week. We talked about, they kind of went back and forth. And, and Moses was like, can't you send someone else to do this job? And God's like, no, you're going to do it. I'm going to send Aaron to go with you. Well, what happens next in the Exodus account is that Moses does go to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah. And Moses is like, no, really. And Pharaoh's like, nah. And so then Moses is like, all right, well, we're going to bring some plagues. And God brings these 10 different plagues on the country of Egypt. And it forces Pharaoh's hand. And Pharaoh lets the, the Israelites go. Moses and the Israelites leave. They're followed by Pharaoh's army. They go through the Red Sea untouched. The water closes up and kills Pharaoh's army. That's a whole other thing. We, we're going to go through all that later. So we're going to do another series on Moses this year. We're going to, we're going to do two more, actually. So we'll, we'll cover that stuff. This is after that. So after they have left Egypt, they're wandering through the desert. They're following God around in the desert. Uh, God leads them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. So they're wandering through the desert like a million plus people. Um, and, and it's going okay. It, it's going okay. Moses is out there. Um, and his father-in-law decides to check in on him. And his father-in-law shows up with, his, with Moses' wife and the two kids. And he, he checks in on, on Moses, which I think could be, has all the potential to be really awkward. Because Moses is in the desert with a million people, and they're just wandering around. So you're, this, this is the time father-in-law checks in on, on how, how his son-in-law is doing. And I got to think Moses is like unshaven at that point, you know, just kind of looking like a mess and running ragged from this whole thing. And, and, and his father-in-law is like, yeah, let's go check and see how you're doing. So they, they get together, and his father-in-law is named Jethro, and Jethro comes to visit Moses. And I want to uh, pick it up there in, in Exodus chapter 18, starting with verse 5. We'll put the verses up on the screen. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with me, with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So Jethro shows up, and Moses is like, let me tell you what's been going on, and Moses lays out the whole story. Here's what happened. Here's what happened in Egypt. We left. There was Pharaoh's army drowning the sea. People, God's been delivering us. Here's the challenges we've had, and God has been faithful all along the way. And he gets an opportunity to really brag to his father-in-law about God's faithfulness. And you see in the next couple of verses, we're not going to read them, but in the next couple of verses, Jethro thanks God for this. He's like, this is awesome. God is good. And it, it seems to be a good, a good sort of reunion here. And so they, they have that, that conversation. Um, and then look what happens down in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. All right, I need to explain this. So Moses uh, is there, and he, and he sits down, and then the people of the Israelite people would come to him, and they would come to him to receive a judgment on, on their situation. So as you have a million people traveling through the desert, eventually things are going to go poorly. They're going to fight. They're going to argue. There's going to be some challenges. You stole my chicken. No, he stole our chicken. Our, our kids aren't getting along, whatever. They're having disagreements and disputes. They bring every one of them to Moses. So Moses is sitting there, and all day long, from morning till night, a line forms of people who want Moses to settle their disputes and their issue and their beef that they have with each other. This sounds like the worst customer service job ever. 
They give him like a phone and a cubicle to make it a little worse. But basically, this is awful. You're dealing with everybody's complaints all day long from morning till night. And, and these folks were slaves. So their entire lives, they had been used to somebody tell me what to do and I'll do it. They're not used to this idea of newfound freedom. And so they're, they're like, I just need to have someone tell me what I'm supposed to do. And so they, they're all coming to Moses. And Moses has basically what is a good problem. He has achieved a high level of influence with a lot of people, and they are following him, and that's a good thing. But the good problem is going to become a bad problem, and it's going to wear him out. Um, Good problems can make you very, very busy. I've heard the quote before, they've said, like, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. They can make you distracted, and this is what Moses is dealing with. He's got a lot going on. He's got a lot of stress because of it. In fact, there are instances where Moses really complains to God about what the situation he has to deal with. Listen to this one from Numbers chapter 11, verse 11. Listen to what Moses says. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you laid the burden of all this people on me? Like, don't you get that? Like, if you're Moses, aren't you kind of feeling that way right now? You're like, dude, I didn't ask for this. You showed up in a burning bush. You talked to me. You told me I had to go do this thing. I told you I wasn't good. I didn't want to do it. You sent me anyway. I went and did the thing. Now I've let the people out. And here now, I have to deal with everybody's issues. And there's a ton of them. And I, and I, get, I get his frustration. I get why he would complain at me. Imagine if Moses had email. All the emails he would be getting about what he is and isn't doing. Imagine if he had Twitter. All the mentions he would be getting of Moses and leading this right, you know, hashtag loser, or we should, hashtag we should have stayed in Egypt or whatever. And Moses like, you know, can you imagine how hard that would be? He'd be like, don't at me, haters, because um, he's just got so much going on. Um, and, he's, and he's super busy. And uh, I, I think we run into that in our culture as well. When, when we're successful, when things go well, we get very, very busy. Um, and, and in our culture, we sort of equate busyness with success or importance. If you're a busy person, you must be a really important person. And we end up being overcommitted. And when we're overcommitted, uh, we actually hurt ourselves in the long run. When you're overcommitted and you're busy, you don't take care of your health anymore. You stop eating well and exercising. When you're overcommitted and you're very busy, you start taking shortcuts with things and, and lacking integrity and maybe taking some shortcuts at work. When you're overbitted, bit, uh, overcommitted and you're very busy, you start um, hurting relationships because you don't show up anymore. They invite you out, you don't come. Um, you're, you, you just say, oh, I'm not interested and you, don't, and you don't stay involved and eventually people stop asking you to hang out and do anything because they just think you're a flake that's not going to show up anyway. Like when we are extended and busy and overcommitted, um, it, it hurts us. Um, and and you can, so you can see Moses kind of strung out here like, man, I got I to handle this um, all, all day long, and, uh, and, and it's frustrating. And so Jethro sees that, hey, things are going well for you, but you've got some good problems that are actually bad problems. You need to deal with it. And so listen to what his father-in-law Jethro says to him when he sees this, verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So here's the question. It's really two questions. The the first question is like, what are you doing for the people? And he knows what he's doing for the people. He's watching it. but But the real question is, what are you really accomplishing here? 
And that's a great question, especially if you've achieved any level of success. It's a great question for us to just sort of internally ask and go, what am I really doing here? Yeah, sure, the graphs go up and to the right. We wanted to start the thing. The thing is growing. Things are going well in whatever endeavor that you're in. It's going well. But what am I really doing here? Is this actually what I wanted to do? Just because I've had success in some way, is it really the thing I was hoping to do? What am I really accomplishing? That's kind of Jethro's first question is, what are you doing over there? And then the second question he asks are, why are you doing it alone? Why are you doing this all by yourself? The first question is a question of priority. Moses, is your job to sit there all day long and be the, uh, the, the, the guy who listens to everybody and judges all of their situations all day long? Is that what you're really supposed to do? What are you really accomplishing with that? You see, God called Moses to be a leader to lead the people out of slavery into the promised land. That's what he's supposed to be doing. God did not call him to be national counselor, therapist, and judge, which is what he's actually spending his time doing. And Jethro sees this as like, what? What are you doing? Um, it's so easy to get off track, especially when things are going well. It's easy to get off track in, as a parent. We can, we can lose sight of what we're really supposed to be accomplishing. Like parents, is it your job to win that argument with your kid, or is it your job to help them be in relationship with Jesus for the long haul? Is it your job at work to climb that ladder at all costs and make a bunch of money, or is it actually your job to make enough money so that you can just provide for yourself and for your family. In dating, is it really, are you, what you're really doing there, is it like, oh, I'm dating just so I can get some action? Or is dating supposed to be a way that you can find a godly spouse? As believers in Christ, those of you who are, and I know that's not everyone in the room, but believers in Christ, um, is our job to just enjoy life as much as we can? Or is it actually our, our role on this earth to know God and to introduce other people to him. It's worth thinking about. It's worth asking yourself, even if you're experiencing some success, even if you've got some good problems right now, it's worth asking yourself, what are you accomplishing really? And then the second question that Jethro asks basically is this, why are you doing this by yourself? Why do you have a line of people out the door and you know thousands of people every day, why are you doing this by yourself? Listen to Moses' response in verse 15. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses is like, hey, I'm the victim here, man. I, 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 I'd love to do something else, but people just keep coming to me. Like, what am I supposed to do? And maybe you felt this way before. Things are going well, and then people just start coming to you. They, you're the guy. You're the, you're the woman. You're the one with the answers. They, they just keep coming to you. And you're like, well, how can I say no to that? They just keep coming. They keep showing up. And so uh, Moses feels that way. It sounds like he doesn't think he has any choice. And he's like, look, I'm indispensable to this process. They need me. I got a million mouths to feed. Listen to Jethro's response, verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Um, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Here's a pro tip. If your father-in-law says what you're doing is not good, you should listen. Um, 
because that guy's important to people that are important to you also. So you need to listen, even if you disagree. And, your, and his father-in-law shows up and says, you're going to burn out. You're wearing your, yourself and everyone around you out. This isn't even just bad for you, Moses, sitting there all day. It's bad for everybody who has to stand in line and talk to you. Because they wait in line all day long, and then they don't get in to see you, and they're going to have to come back and wait in line again tomorrow, and that's going to be more problems. Like, it's a bad deal for them. It's a bad deal for you. You're going to burn everybody out by doing, by doing this thing. What you're doing is not good, he says. And then he gives them this advice, verse 19. Now obey my voice. And when your father-in-law says that, you need to, you need to recognize. <laughs> Whoa. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God. Here's what he's saying. Your job is to be the people's representative to God, to talk to God and be in communication with him and say, hey, this is what we're struggling with, whatever. Like, that's what you're here for, the go-between, the mediator between God and man. And, and represent them. Your job is not to be the go-between mediator between every single person in, in, the entire, in the entire nation. You need to keep the main thing the main thing. When we get influence, this is the challenge for us. When things go well, when you have some measure of success, the challenge is to get start, start getting involved in every other little thing that comes up. Oh, I could dabble with this. Oh, I could do this. And we lose focus of what is the main thing. What is the thing that I do? What is the thing that only I can do? What is the thing that I do best? And, and Jethro's advice basically is this, and it's advice for us. Prioritize spending time with God first. Prioritize spending time with God. You see this in, in Jesus. Jesus strategically would retreat from the crowds. Jesus became very popular in northern Israel in the first century, and crowds would follow him. Thousands of people would come to hear him teach and to heal people and to feed people and all the things that he did. And the crowds are rolling up on him, and Jesus would strategically and regularly and intentionally get away from everyone so he could be alone with his heavenly Father, and then he, he could pray to him. It said he would go to these quiet places, these desolate places, these empty places, desert kind of spots to get away from the crowds. Um, there's a rhythm to that, and we need to prioritize that way as well. So I would say, to make it real practical, take time each day to read and pray. Take time each day. Read, pray. Read a little bit of Scripture. Not a lot, a chapter, maybe even less, and pray. You don't have to be great at it. You don't have to be a pro praying person, if that's a thing. Um, you don't but just the consistency of it, of, of marking out time in your day before you go to work or at lunch or before you go to bed at night or whatever works kind of in your rhythm. Say, I'm going to just uh, read and pray. This is, and this is good advice for anyone who has influence anywhere is, is to, to read uh, the wisdom of God and just work on applying it in your life. Uh, this isn't just advice for church leaders. Um, this is advice for people who have influence in any arena. Um, read, pray, and journal. Because whatever thing you're in, uh, work or school or business, um, medicine, whatever that you're in, there's pressure, there's deadlines, there's challenges. Um, and, and if you don't keep yourself centered, you're going to come unglued, and it's going to go pretty badly for you. Um, this is... 
been shown to be true over and over with people when they burn out. Um, so here's my question. When was the last time you read the Bible on your own? When was the last time you read the Bible not in a hurry? When was the last time you put on some sort of worship music? You grabbed a Spotify playlist and you're like, let me, let me just listen to some worship songs so you could sing or honor God or listen to the words. When was the last time you went for a walk in the woods to look at God's nature and just be alone with him? Um, we, we, need to, we need to strategically uh, step back from, from the pressure um, because all of you, those of you who are teachers, stay-at-home parents, doctors, nurses, uh, servers, baristas, students, salespeople, all of us are under a lot of pressure and, and stress. And how are you going to keep your sanity in the midst of all that? How are you going to handle all of that? I'll tell you how some people handle it, and I've seen this, I've seen this in our church, I've seen this with friends. Uh, some people handle that pressure with alcohol. They go, you know what, I'm just going to drink until this feels better. And that is a uh, short-sighted, short-term solution that causes long-term problems. And so some people try to put alcohol on the stress, some people will get angry and burn down relationships with their stress, some people develop addictions. Everybody is going to go somewhere to handle pressure so where will you go? Because a lot of the places that you'll go to, a lot of the places that we, that we move towards when we're under pressure, a lot of those places will end up enslaving us. Listen to Jethro's advice here. Keep God central. You prioritize that first so that you can withstand whatever comes your way. And then continuing on, listen to what else he says. Very practically, he says this to him, verse 20. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are, untrust, who are, I'm sorry, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses says, keep your relationship with God central. And then he says, man, you've got to delegate to others who can help carry out the vision. You've got to pass off responsibility to other people who can carry out the vision. He basically gives Moses a pyramid structure, doesn't he? He says, look, you're at, right, the, the, whole, the whole thing's too flat. It's you and then everybody. What you need is you and then you need like chiefs, he calls them, like people over a thousand, people over hundreds, people over fifties, over tens, break down into the, all these layers, middle management or whatever. You need all these layers of people between you and everybody's concerns so that they can handle all of that stuff, choose some decent people who can judge well, They'll handle that, and then only the really big stuff is going to come to you. Only the stuff that's like really dividing the whole place, you know, then, then you can handle that stuff. But let all these other people handle um, at, at all of these different, different levels. Uh, if you don't delegate, it's going to eat you alive. And that's true when we feel some, when, when we have some influence, when we are achieving some level of success. If you don't delegate, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to destroy you. And so he gives them this, uh, this plan. Now, at Area 10, uh, I have learned and am still always learning this lesson as the church has grown. So when we started 10 years ago, there was about 80 people as a, a core group of this church who wanted to see it get going and get started. And they invited friends, and we invited the community, and more people have kind of come over the years. 
But when we started, uh, we didn't have a lot of people to do all the things, like all the things that need to happen as, as a church. And you, you just hope someone shows up and, you know, what are we going to do with these kids and who's going to run the sound and can you play bass? And I play, you know, if it's like I played bass once, I'm like, great, you're our bassist, like you're it, you know, whatever. Like you do whatever you can. Um, and early on, uh, I jumped in on some stuff because it needed to be done. So one of the things that would happen, on the, probably the first six months of this church, I would be the first person to show up here on Sunday at like 6 a.m. and I'd get here with the keys and I'd set up that soundboard that's out there right now and I would go and I would turn on the air conditioning down in the basement. Now there's a basement to the bird and you may have heard about what it's like and all of the rumors are true. Um, It's something between awesome and terrifying. It's very Phantom of the Opera. It's all all of those things. It's just weird. Um, So you go down there and maybe you've heard that this building is built on a natural spring. That is true. There's a big pool of water there somewhere down there and um, you can look in and see it and it's kind of cool. It's also kind of like looks like a place where they throw the dead bodies. So it's just there's something like cool and creepy about the whole thing. Uh, And you go down there and one of the things I had to do by myself in the dark um, at 6 a.m. for the first six months of the church was go down there and turn on the air conditioning. The air conditioning unit in this building is massive. There's this big room with a bunch of levers that you flip and then there's this big like uh, wheel that you with a, with a pulley and all that and a fan belt thing that you have to get going and we would, and I would get there and you like start it up and it's just huge and thing spins and you get the air blowing and, and then the belt would we went through this period where the belt would come off and you have to get water on it and try to get it back up into place and it's like this massive thing that you're wrestling um, and it was like cool weird terrifying um, and I and I did that for like the first six months and um, eventually somebody came along and they were like why don't you not do that anymore let me do that I'll do that thing and then you go do whatever you preach or something you go do something else and so I went and did something else and someone took over that spot and now I, I, I can tell you I haven't seen that that belt thing fan thing in like years like I haven't even had to go down there to do it because other people have stepped up and and taken that responsibility. But it's hugely important. You go, oh, whatever, someone can turn on the air conditioning, whatever. It's important. Look, I can spend all the time in the world preparing what I'm going to say to you. I can pray over it. I can read. I can study. I can get ready. I can think about how to creatively present to you what I'm going to tell you today. And if you're sitting in here and someone does not start the air conditioning and it's 95 degrees in here, it doesn't matter what I say. You're not hearing it, right? The little things, even the little things matter. And I can be like, oh, the air conditioning's beneath me. No, it's not beneath me. It, literally, it is beneath me. It's like right there. But, um, but, but it's that someone else needs to, to come on board and, and, and own the thing, and we need to let other people have the vision. And it, so the same thing is true as a church just sort of uh, across the board. I don't go to the hospital to visit everybody in the hospital. We have other people who are connected in small group leaders, and, and, and I don't teach everybody. We have different people who teach. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't sit down with everybody who wants to sit down for coffee. I will meet with people from time to time, uh, but we have other people who can do that. We have, uh, we have staff. We have elders. We have uh, all sorts of small group leaders and other uh, ministry leaders here um, to, to because we all share the burden of the body of Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, and that's actually a, 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 a really good thing um, that because for us to have plenty of people who can, who can do all those things. Only when I delegate to others can I run at a sustainable pace and not burn out um, and that people will get the care that they need. Moses 
running at an unsustainable pace was going to burn him out and people weren't going to get the care that they needed. Um, he was going to send people away every day because he couldn't handle all of their, their stuff. So as this church uh, grows and, and has grown, um, there are more challenges that come up, but everybody has to kind of step up and share the vision. Um, and, and as a leader, as your influence grows, you get more focused. You don't do more things, you do less things, and you just go deeper into those things. You do what only you can do. I've heard the 90% rule, maybe you've heard this. You say, you say like, if someone can do something 90% as good as you can do it, then let them do it. And I've done that. I've handed things off, said, man, you could probably do this. Great, go for it. And someone will take it 90% of what I can do, and then it's great. But what I've frequently experienced is that I hand off something to someone, and they do it 150% as good as I did it. And I'm like, this is awesome. Why didn't we do this earlier? Why was I carrying this thing that I shouldn't be carrying? Um, and, and why didn't I let other people um, step up? Now, as a leader, as I look at Moses, I just wonder, like, psychologically, was, was he, like, bummed when, when all of the judging job that he had to do when that all went away, when people stopped bringing all their stuff to him? On the one hand, I'm just probably awesome. But on the other hand, it's kind of nice to be needed, isn't it? Like, people were coming to him, and he's like, you guys, don't, you know, I wonder if he saw people, like, working out their disputes, and they're, like, not asking him. You know, he's like, hey, I could, I could speak also. If you want to know, I used to do this all the time. I'm really good at it. And they're like, no, no, we got it. We're going to talk to the chief over here. Okay, see ya. You know, I wonder if it was like that for him. But the reality is it had to change. It had to change. And here's the thing. Here's an here's a interesting, like, historical piece to this. Israel is the only country in the world that, and the only nation in the world that, that kind of went through this thing where they didn't have a king they eventually did. Hundreds of years later, they asked for a king, and God's like, you don't want that. It's going to go badly. And they're like, yeah, we do. We want one. And they got one. But before that, from, from this time on, what Israel had were judges. They were people who we had God's law. We're all following God. God's in charge. We have his laws. And then we have judges who help us settle the disputes. And that's how they functioned as, as a nation uh, for, for many years. And, and there's no nation in history that's really functioned that way. And and the reason that they did is because Jethro came to Moses and said, what you're doing is not good. This needs to change. You need to, you need to get some organization to this. So why are we talking about all this? This whole series, Movers and Shakers, was about influence. And, and here's why I want us to think about influence. Um, have you guys ever read that list that comes out in the style? I think it's in Style Weekly, and it's like the power list in Richmond. The power list. It's like the, the important people in Richmond. Have you seen this list? You ever re read through it to see if you're on it? Um, just me? I just, okay. Pastors don't make the list apparently, so I found out. Um, but they'll be like the most powerful people in Richmond in, in finance and the most powerful people in education. Most, you know, so they have this list. Um, and I read through that, and, I, and basically what that's saying is here are people of influence in, in the city. Um, and here's the deal. Like, I want all of you to be on that list. Now, some of you are like, I, I want nothing to do with that list. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want people coming to me with their stuff. I don't want to be the power, whatever. But, but, but here's, hear me out. I want all of you to be on that list because I want people who are desiring to know God and follow him, I want those people to be in positions of influence in the city, in the state, in our, in our nation. And so if, if you guys can gain influence in your field, 
Um, I think that's an awesome thing. I pray for it. I pray that you gain influence. And so the reason we did this series is, hey, if we get influence and as we grow in influence, how do we handle that well? Because we've all seen examples of people who are in positions of power and influence who do not handle it well. And so we're like, let's talk about it. How can we uh, handle it well? How can we be the kind of people who use our position to know God better and to help other people know him? Um, so that's, that's, that's what I want to see happen. And so my prayer as we kind of finish this out is that God will give you um, incredible positions of influence in this city um, and that you will use that platform to draw other people to him. So let's pray. Lord, I know there's people in the room right now that are kind of at the beginning of a dream. They're at the, the front end of imagining what you could do and, and, and what their lives could do with, with you in control of it. And so, God, I pray that um, you, you give them positions of influence, not to pat themselves on the back or to appear on some sort of power list, but I, I pray that you give people in this room positions of influence so that we can change in, uh, the culture that, it can, uh, that we can point people to you, um, that we can know you and point others to you. Thank you, Lord, for the movers and shakers in this room. Uh, uh, help us to stay connected to you always um, and, and, and to delegate as, as needed along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.